Hi, I'm Vanessa Anderson. And I'm Stephanie Cooley. It's time to give ourselves a moment to be real, to express all of motherhood. Mothering is beautiful. It's wonderful. And you know what? It's fucked up too. Come hang out with us. We're the real motherfuckers. All right. Hello, Hillary. How are you? Great. So good to see you guys this morning. Yeah. So we're the real motherfuckers. I'm Stephanie. This is Vanessa. Good morning. Hello. Good afternoon, wherever you are, whenever you hear this. Good to have you. (laughs) So Hillary is a nurse, specifically a labor and delivery nurse. You can find her on Instagram as pregnancy nurse. You've been... You've been a nurse for a long time. Yeah, I've been a nurse since 1997. Wow. And have you been a labor and delivery nurse this whole time or have you done other departments? I started labor and delivery in 2001 and I left uh, 20 years later. (laughs) Awesome. So I think that this episode is a special one because we had recently talked about our our birth stories. I had my my births at a hospital. Vanessa had hers at home. And we wanted to get have you on so that any moms who are making their hospital birth plan can make the best one that they can with some of your thoughts and advice and experience. That's awesome. I love a, I love a birth plan. I think people are worried that nurses don't like their birth plans, but I love them. Probably not for the reason <laughs> you think I do, but I do. What reasons? What reasons do you like them? Why do you Um, like them? I I love, first of all, that people have even thought about what the heck's going to happen in that room before they come, because the vast majority, like I say, I need your pediatrician and they just like blink at me. Like my, my OB doesn't take care of the baby. I'm like, no, we need a pediatrician. (laughs) Um, You know, just simple. Like, are you going to breastfeed? They've thought that, 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 that was even going to happen. You know, episiotomy, like they know that that could happen. Those types of things. I absolutely love that. I love that they've hopefully talked it through together because Mm -hmm. I run a prenatal class for couples. So I love it when the couple talks about it, like they realize about breastfeeding. He realizes about breastfeeding. It's real serious. It's a big change. Oh my gosh. Now I'm thinking about all these moments that you've had to witness people making these decisions in real time and how scary that is. Yes. (laughs) So that's why I love a birth plan. I, you know, I don't plan to stick a hundred percent to your birth plan. Um, patients don't end up sticking a hundred percent to the birth plan, but just the very thought that you've gone through these in advance gets me super excited. And also I get to know just a little bit about you, um, with your birth plan. I've gotten ones with stickers and different colored pens. And I just like giggled. I was like, that is my patient. Please hand her to me. Um, because I am that person. I would love to make a birth plan with different color highlighters. Anyway. So I love it. Do you recommend in that you know, pre-planning stage for parents to take any classes that you would recommend and or tour the hospital before they even have the child to just kind of get acquainted? Is that something that happens or should? Yeah, I will say that I didn't teach prenatal classes for a long time of my labor and delivery career. And about, I don't know, 14 years in, I started teaching them. And we always ask when people are admitted, did you take a prenatal class? Everyone says no. Um, but I started to notice the few that said yes, just were so much happier to be there. Just things went better. Like 
I was able to explain a little bit deeper. They weren't as freaked out by everything. It was just so much better. And so when I started my online prenatal class, I started looking at the studies, like what does this actually do? And it actually a 10% reduction in C-section rates, um, less induction rates, less vacuum rates. And I really just think it's because you know what to expect going in. You're not caught off guard because so many people end up just like begging for a C-section 24 hours in because they just didn't know that it was a marathon. They thought they were sprinting to labor like it looks like in the movies, right? Mm, so yeah. I really, I'm a huge fan of it. I think a lot of people think they can just watch some social media videos or research on their own, research being in quotes. I can see that, you know, anxiety and those conflicts, like you were saying before, when you know what you're up against or what you're for you will eliminate those first conflicts of parenting because don't you think the first fights of parenting are those topics you just said like if the father says why aren't you breastfeeding to the wife or um or why are any you of the other medical those are mine those babies are yeah. mine <laughs> yeah yeah or just the medical you know um if the wife does want a c-section and the, the the husband or the partner says no you know i mean those are some big decisions to make and sometimes the partner not having it wants to have equal say don't you think i mean is there do you feel like that's what it is or do you feel like for the most part most women have the choice in the room uh i think most women have the choice in the room perhaps you saw the the dad who they weren't going to get an epidural and then he later made the wife pay for the epidural like they split expenses in their family and they split everything about the birth 50 50 except when she went to pay the epidural he said i'm not paying for half of that we didn't you you wanted that <laughs> and i was like oh, oh boy but uh, i honestly haven't ever seen that i think the the partner in the room is just like whatever you want whatever you want you just go right yeah. ahead but I just think it gets a lot out of the way. Is her mom going to be in the room? Is his mom going to be in the room? Is, um, you know, who's going to come to the hospital after the baby's born? Who's going to come over to the house after the baby's born? How will sleeping work after the baby's born? Just getting a lot of those. So in my prenatal class, it's actually four couples and we have questions. All those types of questions we go over in advance just so you start to think about them. Um, and couples love that part. I kind of thought it was hokey in the beginning because I had already had three kids and I was like, these are very basic questions, whatever. But um, people just rave about the questions because I think it just gets the conversation going and then they can extend it if they want or they can just stay basic. Totally. And do you do you feel there should be a, a couple of criteria of who you want in the room, like a list of, okay, my mom's going to be in the room, you know, recommendations of what kind of person should be in the room with you to support you because there can I mean, be a conflict it, in that it can mm -hmm. i just think it's something you have to discuss and then also be open to changing your mind because at some yeah. point you may be like well and i mean we shove out we only let like one extra person in during the epidural some hospitals don't even allow that so at some points in time we kick everybody out so uh just being open to what happens and being aware that everything changes all the time <laughs> totally um, could you, we want to kind of get a little, little raunchy. Is there any stories that you can break us off here that are a little taboo that you, people would say, oh my God, I can, I can't believe that happened in that room, like, or I mean, in, in the hospital. Labor nurses are pretty, probably the most raunchy nurses you're going to find. <laughs> I, I'm guessing ER nurses are also because they find a lot of those. But when you're dealing yeah. with lady bits constantly, it's just a lot of sexual innuendo and jokes, but my manager, so our triage just had curtains, no doors, and she pulled back the curtain 
and um she was giving him a blowjob or he was giving her a blowjob just behind the curtain like anyone could have pulled it back the lab comes in we come to give him a sandwich and i'm just like guys uh you know and sometimes people bring their other kids with them because they go into labor not knowing and i don't know I mean, people always are like, oh, I'm so afraid to do X, Y, Z at the hospital. Like, ask them about my pubic hair. Guys, that is the least of our worries. <laughs> pubic hair, pooping while having yeah. baby. Those are the least of your worries. No, so easy to answer. A, we don't care. B, you're going to, we don't care. It's just, we don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the process. You know, it's going to happen. You're squeezing. Things are going to come out. Honestly, I love it when they poop because it shows me they're actually pushing because sometimes you don't really know. Like your face oh, yeah. can look very pushy, but um, <laughs> who knows what's going on down there if I can't feel the yeah. ba baby move very much. So if I see you pooping, I'm like, well, she is doing something. Those muscles are moving. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. The, when the face doesn't match the pushing down there, right. that's hilarious. Sometimes you'll see him just really squinching that face and I'm like, I don't feel much happening down here. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Cause I know people are embarrassed cause you know, you're the hairiest when you're pregnant you can't see what's going on down there so it's funny that the hair thing is like we don't care an issue for most of us that we don't know. yep yeah <laughs> so going into the hospital what are some uh some things that people should keep in mind that they should not do or should not you know ask you know or expectations that they shouldn't have when they go in and have their baby at a hospital, like what are some of the like things that maybe things that we should debunk on what you think you should do and what you should not do? I think a lot of people, especially on social media, act like the birth plan is a set of doctor's orders for me. So I'm going to breastfeed. I'm going to like period end of story. Your baby, my baby will not have any formula like that's like, or I do not want an episiotomy. So even if everyone's dying in the room, we, we are not going to cut an PC. It's like, it's not the same as orders because everyone's going to change your mind. And we don't just take the birth plan as like, well, that's just what we're going to do today. Even if she's bleeding yeah. out, I'm not going to give her any Pitocin. Um, we just take it as like guidelines. It's guidelines. I mean, honestly, doctor's orders are guidelines, but you know, whatever. So <laughs> I, the worst thing you can do is to come into your birth. So like, Everything's in concrete. I will absolutely not have a C-section. I will absolutely not have any Pitocin. I will absolutely breastfeed. I will absolutely, because mother nature is just going to give you the middle finger and just be like, sure you are. <laughs> right? Just because exactly yeah. the same way your two-year-old's going to do it when you're like, we are going to Target today. We are going to be there for two hours and I'm going to enjoy it. Your two-year-old yeah. two will then give you the finger and be like, I'm going to be a holy terror this entire time until you want to yeah. kill me. Oh I mean, that's what mother mothering is in general is like, if you tell yourself if you're going to have to be this one way and it's broken and you have, you don't, can't beat yourself up about it or you can't move on. Right. So much of motherhood is like, I'd like to go to Target today. We don't yeah. have any milk. So that seems like a really good plan, but we're just going to see how the day goes. <laughs> no, So how do you guys handle it? Because I know that might be a conflict between you and patient, right? To, to say... This is a life-threatening situation. I know it doesn't fit your plan. Um, how how does that conversation go? I mean, rarely. So there are people that like absolutely do not want blood products, and that is a whole different scenario because usually it's religiously based. So yes. that's like a separate scenario. But most often people come to realize like 
you know, or they don't want an induction, but their baby isn't growing inside or their blood pressure is sky high and we're afraid they're going to seize. And they slowly come to the realization themselves as we give them a little bit more information. You know, I rarely come in the room and I'm like, we are inducing you. Let's, let's talk about why. Usually I'm just like, man, girl, your blood pressure is sky high. I hope you don't stroke out, you know, or, (laughs) um, and slowly they're like, and then I'll be like, you, you know, when the blood is going by that placenta so fast and so strong, it just doesn't get to the baby. Does that make sense? And then I'll go about doing other things. Like I'm just kind of sort of planting seeds about like what's going on in your body. And usually by the time I get to the, you know, man, I feel like I bet your doctor's going to um, induce, he's going to order to induce you. Um, how are you feeling about that? And then we have that conversation because yeah. I love to give the patients a heads up as to what I think the doctor's going to do. Yeah. Because really nothing's up to me. I mean, everything's up to me, but really nothing's up to me. Like the school secretary where they're like, oh, I'm not in charge, but really they're in charge of everything. Um, And so, you know, by the time we get to that point, they have come to terms with it. But I always feel like a lot of birth trauma ends up coming from she was so set at no induction. And then she ends up needing induction because of her body or whatever. And then she comes out feeling like a failure for literally mm-hmm. no reason because she had yeah. her heart set on XYZ. And that's again in life. Like I wanted my kids to be XYZ. They are not XYZ. And I, I just set myself up for failure basically. <laughs> you sound so pivotal as a nurse in the room and you are so pivotal in the room. I mean, like what would you say is like your role in the, uh, for moms during labor and delivery versus the doctor? Um, so our job is to carry out doctor's orders and to be an advocate for patients officially is kind of the nurse's job and to chart until our fingers turn into tiny little nubs for the hospital. Um, and so really our job is to carry out doctor's orders. That's kind of first and foremost, but also we are there with so much information, which it can be sometimes hard to get for patients because, you know, we, the doctor's going to be like, well, did you tell her she didn't need an induction, even though I want to induce her? And I'll be like, well, she asked what I, you know, usually I sidestep that, you know, the longer you're a nurse, you're just like, hey, buddy, back off. Okay. She didn't want that. Um, and, but when in the beginning it's, it can be difficult to balance the doctor wanting something specific and the patient wants something different. The, the best tip for patients is, hey, I need to go to the restroom. Can you come in and help me? Because there is absolutely no way a physician's going to come into that restroom. If they're a midwife, they might. But the nurse can come to the room and you can go, hey, what are you? What do you think about the, what they're saying? Because I have had doctors come in and are like, we need a section. Your baby might die. And I'm over there rolling my eyes like, you've got to be kidding me. You're, we need a section because it's 5 p.m. That's why you're saying this. You know, but if I go into the bathroom with her, I would just be like, I think I, I think your baby looks fine right now. That's how I would. <laughs> that's how I would respond. You know, and then that at least gives her a little bit more information going forward. That's such a good insider tip. Yeah, because the bathroom, the doctors aren't going to go in the bathroom. (laughs) Oh, man. No, it's it's so, um, I I feel so good about what you're saying, you know, that these women are getting the support from you guys in that room. And it's good for people to know that because sometimes people think, oh, they're against me. And it's so nice that you are saying, no, we're just, we're doing our best and you're you are kind of like you said that the that balance between what doctors want what they want um and i think when women know that about the nurses i think they'll 
feel more in, um, they'll just feel better about asking you guys more, being more open and being honest with themselves and being honest with you. I think right. people are embarrassed to be honest sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. Or scared. Again, whatever you're doing is not going to be embarrassing. Well, not whatever. Yeah. There are some things, yeah. but as we've reviewed, they are extreme. <laughs> you should just start every relationship in the hospital room saying, I've seen some crazy shit. Don't worry. You can tell me anything. <laughs> we are open here. Like I even had a, a gal once she was young. My first hospital, we had a ton of teenage moms and the mom came in and she goes, can you tell her that she does not get to pick which hole the baby comes out of? And I was like, <laughs> I, even then I wasn't like, she's dumb. I was like, I was so curious as to how she thought she was going to pick which hole. And then also which hole she wanted to pick because of the three, if we're talking about the three, I would definitely pick the, that one hole. Cause I am using the other two, the rest of my life. I don't need them. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. That's oh crazy. God. A lot of times well, it just did... makes us curious about like what's going on in your head. And it starts a good conversation. Cause she obviously That's... needed some, some good teaching. I was glad she knew there were three holes though. Cause there's plenty of people who don't even know that there are three holes. So yeah, that is true. That is true. Okay. So what would you say on having a plan around pain management? I think you want to know all the pain management options, even if you are having an epidural, just because you never know. And that, and if you're having an epidural, you 100% need to know natural pain management because you are likely going to have pain before you get the epidural. Who knows if the anesthesiologist is going to be available the minute you want the epidural. And even when they come in the room, there's a lot of like prep and like gobbledygook. They have to give informed consent. There's about a half an hour before um, they put the epidural in and while they're placing the epidural, you can't move like during the, the actual placement of the epidural. So it's really important that you know all of the pain management options that are available. But in reality, there aren't that many. There's IV meds, nitrous if your hospital has it, epidural, natural pain management. Those are, those are your options. It, it boils down really simple, but knowing all of those is super important for everybody, I think. Yeah. And when, how long do you have to wait for the epidural? What's the kind of the waiting time? Do you have to be certain dilation to get it or? You have to be an active laborer. So I, I'm the first to say that um, early labor is still extremely painful um, and is not fun. And so your cervix needs to actively be dilating just because we mostly want to make sure you're actually going to have that baby. Because I have, I have sent patients home who got an epidural early on their labor petered out. They were early still. We didn't really want to induce them. And so we stopped the epidural and they went home. And I've always wondered, like, what what happened to their billing for two epidurals? Like, how was oh, all that visit? This mm -hmm. was early on. So probably probably it was fine. But um, yeah, you know, we want to make sure that you're actually in labor before we give you the epidural because we don't want to have to, like, stop it. And that's really, and then it always, always depends on your doctor's orders. And that is something that is pretty firm. Like if they say she can't have an epidural until four centimeters, I mean, I'll fudge you from three to four, but I can't be like, she's closed and we're going to give her an epidural unless I talk with them. Mm. I will say okay. that you don't see that very much. Usually doctors are like epidural as desired. So there you go. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know there was rules to it. So thanks for enlightening me on that. I had no idea. I am, um, I will say I am a big fan of increasing your movement, trying to move as much around the room until you get to that active labor stage, at least.
please three to centimeters. I just feel like if you get it before then, you're kind of setting yourself up for possibly a C-section. Now, who's to say that that's because your baby's like not in the pelvis, right? Or it's just ginormous and, and the contractions are extremely painful, but not going anywhere because your baby's just too big. So I, I would always encourage my patients, let's try to get to three. What can we do? You know, let's keep moving. But sometimes we got up before then, especially if you were getting induced and it was going to be a long time. So, yeah, no, I mean, like you said, everyone's different. Everyone has a different pain tolerance and, you know, mindset into it. And I think it all has to, to do with, like you said, everyone's plans different. Everyone's body's different. So yep. it's good to have these options. You talk about postpartum management, like pain management. Um, and your life, your plan after postpartum. Do you, can you talk more about that? Because I think that that's something for me was a shock where I'm like, oh, wait, I get, I go home and now I have to deal with myself by myself. And right. it's, it's scary and it's lonely and I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the most important part of the online prenatal class for couples is also getting the partner on board of what are the danger signs, fever, blood clots larger than a golf ball. Um, she is constantly crying for days on end. You need to get help. Your doctor wants to help you. They can help you psychiatrically, um, like meds or something. Um, there's just, you know, really important signs to watch for in mom because everyone's eyes are on that baby. Are we feeding them enough? Are they, um, you know, but at the same point in time, we've got this lady who could die. I mean, that's probably why our mortality rates are so high. Most of that happens in the postpartum period when mom, you know, just ignores that constant headache that she has that ends up being postpartum preeclampsia. But she's just like, oh, I'm just not sleeping very well. And then ends up having like a real issue with you. So it's really important that both partners know what to watch for so that they can keep an eye out as well. Do you feel like that's being advocated more now these days? Like, when you got when there's the discharge, is there a kind of like a consultation more with the mom, not just with the baby, like what you just said for those for those things, those symptoms to be kind of just watched over? Yeah, we always give there's a paper that we've given out since I started labor and delivery that talks about the fever, the bleeding, um, headache. I just think people ignore it. They just are looking at that baby sheet and they're like, oh, I'm fine. Right. And nothing's going to happen to me. I'm fine. I mean, I had my second baby and we moved and then we bought our house and moved like seven days later. And my mom, I was a labor nurse at the time, was like, you can't lift boxes. And I was like, why? And then she was like, you just had a baby. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point, mom. That's a good point. Need <laughs> yeah, some we want to move on quick sometimes, you know, but a good point, there's a healing mom. period. That healing yeah. period is, is so important, you know, no matter what birth you decided to have, there's still a healing period for, for the mother. Yes. And every baby, the problem is every baby, you get busier. Every baby, the bleeding gets worse. Every baby, your chance of having a eclampsia because you're older, it gets worse. And so, you know, we're just busy. Our minds are 400 places. We have other kids to take care of. Plus we have to watch out for ourselves. We're not, we don't usually watch out for ourselves. That's very confusing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We put ourselves last sometimes on that list of priorities. So Yeah. yeah, I think it's so good for us to, to think of that. And I think in general, we're so, like you said, baby centered that mom gets put last on everyone's list. 
Yeah, including and if herself. grandma's in the room, I try to always include grandma because that's her baby. Like she really is invested in her baby. I mean, she loves a grandbaby, but yeah. she's going to be the like, you had a headache for like three days. Like we need to go get that checked out. Whereas mom's just be, oh, it's just because I'm so tired and I'm not eating good. You know, yeah. that's not normal. Headaches. I mean, some headaches after you have a baby are normal because you aren't tired and you're not eating well. But yeah, get checked out. It's e These are easy things to get checked out. Check your blood pressure, check your urine. It's not like we're going to do a CT scan on you. It's very easy things to make sure that you're okay. Great. And what are your top, your top tips that you can give, like general ones for having a hospital birth or just the experience of being at a hospital? I think the first thing is to remember that most people that are in labor and delivery have never had like a major medical event, which I would call birth a major medical event before in their lives. Like they've maybe had their wisdom teeth out. They've maybe had blue boob implants, but that's usually at same day surgery and it's kind of in and out. Most of those people have not had a major surgery or anything um, in advance. And so it's super normal to ask us all the questions in the whole wide world. Nurses love to answer questions because I am monotonously filling out five thousand check boxes which I can literally do in my sleep right because a lot of it is just the same check boxes on every single patient mm -hmm. and so as I am doing that if you ask me questions it brightens my day because I have something to do while I'm just like folding laundry like it is it is the folding laundry for moms right so um the more questions you can ask the better we are up for all the questions now I will say that I don't love it when you like call me ask a question I go back so like my other patient, and then you ring your call light and you have another question. If you can stack your questions, it makes me so much happier. But we want to answer all those questions. There aren't dumb questions. If you have a question, I want to answer it. I want to alleviate any fears or concerns that you have. And that goes for postpartum too. If you're in postpartum and you're like, you know, I kind of wonder why they ended up cutting me or whatever. Um, ask your postpartum nurse, hey, it's so odd that I got an episiotomy. Do you know why? Um, and if they don't know, they can call downstairs. There's probably somebody around that was at your birth. You can talk with your provider about it so that you're not stuck with that little piece of trauma in your mind when you go home. Because so many people are like, I don't know what, I don't know if that C-section was really necessary. And it's fine if you question that because, I mean, prior to now, hospitals would always deny like all culpability and anything. But we're really finding that patients are much more satisfied if we just discuss the reasonings. And then they're like, okay, that makes sense. I'm glad they're not going to sue us later on because we're always worried about getting sued. And I will say labor and yeah. delivery is very worried about getting sued because we can get sued for such a long time after that baby is born. So... Mm -hmm. Um, ask all the questions, ask them in postpartum. If anything is sticking in your mind, ask the questions. We don't, we don't mind that at all. So that's probably my biggest tip. And I also learning to talk with your provider is such an important skill that you are going to use the rest of your life. Cause even I see my mom with doctors in the hospital, she had both knees done and she's just like, well, I don't want to ask him that. And I'm like, why you are paying them so much money, mom or Medicare yeah, yeah. um, ask these questions. There is absolutely nothing that you can't ask your doctor, your nurse, whatever, you know, ask, ask, especially doctors. If they have any, if you have any questions about like what happened in the surgery or whatever, ask. Yeah. That's good advice. That's good advice. I think feel like what I've gotten out of this conversation has been just be confident. Don't feel stupid in asking a question. Mm -hmm. um, let go of any expectations so you don't feel like you said, like a horrible person, go with the flow, 
you know, and, and just staying present and, you know, listening to yourself, but also communicating with your medical staff. So, yeah. I mean, and even if you're just like, I'm not really sure the nice way to say this, but I really don't want you to break my water. Right. (laughs) Because some people are just like, well, I don't, how do I tell them that? And I'm like, you say, I don't want you to break my water. And they're like, well, isn't he gonna, I'm like, we, do we care if he's upset by that? A, he's not going to be upset by that. I mean, some of them might be, but that is their problem, not yours. And B, just, just state it. You know, I'd really prefer you don't break my water unless there's really a, a, really a reason. And people are like, oh, I can just say that. And I'm like, yes, this is, you know, it's just like being at the gap. Do you have the sweatshirt in red? (laughs) Yeah. Do do you wonder, I wonder why, why, why is the culture of us thinking we don't have a voice in the medical room? Do you think it's evolved over time that we do now? Or why do you think that culture's there of patients thinking they can't say those things? I think people don't want to look like they're trying to kill their baby. Nobody's nobody thinks that. I think people are constantly worried that we're judging them for making a choice. Like, mm-hmm. well, they think I should break, get my water broken, but I really don't want it broken. Then you you just kind of have to say that because a lot of people do want their water broken. They would mm-hmm. like the labor to go quicker, stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I think they're thinking, you know, everyone thinks this way. Why doesn't everyone do it that way? But in reality, everybody's different. And also doctors, especially older doctors, tend to have a demeanor of this is the way we're going to do it. And even yeah. those guys, okay. you know, I, I would prefer you don't break my water. And they'll go, mm. I mean, I, I would normally break the water right now, but fine, I won't. And then they'll walk out of the room and they may roll their eyes and be like, oh, she didn't want her water broken. And I'll be like, yeah, I love it when patients speak up, you big fat Yeah. <laughs> You know, but early on, I would have been like, yeah, that's so weird. Thank you so much for coming, doctor. We really appreciate it. <laughs> no, that it's, it, I like this, this shift and in, in that voice. It's so cool. Like, I think it makes everybody more satisfied with the experience, you know, and there's less of that someone else took over my birth kind of experience. You know what I mean? I think it's so cool that we, there's amazing nurses like you advocating for all the and women I'm, out there who appreciate that. I am that. not like a, a magical unicorn in labor nurses. They really, <laughs> the vast majority of labor nurses are so on your side. They are so yeah. rooting for you. I wish people could understand how much pee we are holding because we want to watch you and your baby. When we last ate something that wasn't a mini Snickers bar at the nurse's station uh, or pounded an orange juice and a graham cracker in the nutrition room, we, we are so on your side and we we want to fight for you, but sometimes we need you to be like, I want to be fought for in order for yeah. us to, to tell the doctors. So the more you can tell us about what you're feeling and thinking, the more we can really convey that to your healthcare team. That's awesome. Yeah. It almost makes me want to have another baby so I could do this no, right with your tips. No, that's a mistake. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> I think it's our last egg saying, you know, fertilize me, fertilize me. We're towards no. the end of that, that part no. of us. No, I thank you so much. Uh, do you have any more questions? No, I love this. So many great tips. And um, hopefully we get to talk to you soon about more, more pregnancy and labor and delivery stuff. Yeah, yes. I'd love to come talk with you guys more. And I would encourage people, my birth class is called the online prenatal class for couples. But if you don't think I'm your cup of tea, find one of somebody who has lots of experience and covers beginning to end is not just focused on natural pain management. 
that yeah. so that you understand that because you're just going to be on like such a higher level. You're going to feel so much more confident and prepared in the labor room. It's really going to be such a great investment of your time and money. No, oh, thank you so much. And we can't wait to share everything you have to offer. Uh, there'll be a description of um, your Instagram and anything else that you have going so that people can follow you and, you know, get all your wisdom. Yeah. If this is so the road they're wisdom. going, have a contact. Yep. <laughs> all thanks, right. Hillary. Thanks so much, you guys. Thank you. Bye.